Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Kate, I feel like, first of all, I don't know. We've known each other for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we're best friends. I know, I know. It's very funny. So for everyone listening, this is Kate Luzio, who is the founder and CEO of Luminary. If you have not heard of Luminary, it is a fabulous place to be. It's a collaboration hub for women and women identified to develop, network, and connect. And you're really defining a new category and reimagining like a space for women. And we're going to talk a lot about this. But Really, you're investing in self-development, wellness, flexibility, and giving back for women. And I think it's incredible to understand what you're doing today based on where you came from. So for everyone listening, Kate really just began yeah. her entrepreneurial journey. Tell us what you did previously. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent uh, the better part of two decades in mainly corporate investment banking for three of the largest banks in the world. So Bank of America, JP Morgan, and HSBC. My last two roles were global, managing billions on a P&L, thousands of employees all over the world. And the skills that I had built up from running my own businesses within these big companies, the skills that they had actually helped me develop, led me to be able to become the entrepreneur that I am today. Well, we're going to get into all of this. But first of all, like, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in New Jersey. I'm very, very proud New Jersey girl. Uh, my dad's an FBI agent here in New York City, and my mom was a teacher and I have two brothers, one on each side. And so um, very middle class family, but really always that strong work ethic, you know, work hard, be confident in your abilities, learn, listen, and just keep growing. But at the same time, stand up for others, stand up for yourself and what you believe in and don't compromise your morals. So I'm going to let the FBI part land for a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a great part. <laughs> because it's a great part. And I also think like, you probably also were very hyper aware of your surroundings yes, at all times. I still am. <laughs> yes, yes. So we both went to the University of Maryland. What did you major in? Political science, but there it's called government and politics. Okay. Uh, I really thought I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps and do something in law enforcement, whether that was the FBI or something different. And when I graduated, I had done several internships within the political realm and decided that's not what I wanted to do. And I had his full support, whether I wanted to do it or not, but decided that wasn't the path that I wanted to take at that time. 
So first job was? I worked at a nonprofit in the D.C. area. And a year into the role, the CFO, who was a lot older, said to me, I think you should go and work in the private sector for a while. You have so much passion and energy. Not that that's being wasted in the nonprofit world, but go make some money and then you can give back in different ways. That and was I, very it, foreshadowy. It, it, it was. And I and I think it was great advice at the time. I was, you know, 23 years old and it was right in the beginning or in the middle of the, the original tech boom, right? When we graduated from college, all these companies were hiring in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. And I got hired by a very small startup. Didn't even know what the word startup meant, right? That wasn't like it is today. And... Started in this tech company, stayed there for a couple of years, had the opportunity to go and work in China with them. This is, you know, 20 plus years ago. And then came back from there, decided I wanted to get my master's degree, went to Georgetown in international relations, always thinking that I was still going to do something in politics. And then I got recruited by a bank. And, you know, 18 years later, I was still in a career in finance. And I, I really loved every minute of it. People always ask me, oh, you probably are so happy you're no longer in banking. And I don't say that. I say that, you know, I had a great career. I can always go back. And I didn't leave banking because I wasn't happy with my role and my career. I left because I wanted to make a bigger impact for women in the workforce in general. What was it like being a woman in banking? Because I think, you know, people who are listening don't know you, but your personality, you are no wallflower. And you are definitely, (laughs) you know, and I think a lot of times it's a little bit like people are like, oh, women in banking, they don't have a voice. Like you had a fucking voice. I had a big voice. And I think one of the things is that my mentors, my sponsors, my advocates helped me and gave me that voice. Um, They certainly sponsored that voice when I wasn't in the room for the most part. But it goes back to sort of that upbringing, very hardworking parents, both role models, uh, and having two brothers. And we were always playing sports. So I was always involved in a team sport, always encouraged to be a leader. And I think a lot of that played into when I got into you know, my career, particularly in banking. I never really thought about the girl-boy thing because I had played on boys' teams most of my academic career. And all I knew is I have to work really hard. And I actually have to work harder than everyone else around me because I didn't have a banking background. I didn't major in finance or accounting. And so for me, it was it was almost this individual competitiveness, like I've got to do better. I've got to learn everything I possibly can. And I think that gave me this inspiration or motivation, just who cares around who's around the table? Mm -hmm. I want to be the best. That's okay. And I also very early on realized that I wanted to manage people and I wanted to build teams and I wanted to build businesses. And it wasn't until I got into a more of a senior role that, one, it started to impact me that I was a woman. But more importantly, I saw there were less and less and less women. And where were they? Why weren't they on the same track that I was? And where was the sponsorship and mentoring of all of these women that were in the pipeline? And what was the answer to that? You know, I think a big part of it is it is hard to invest a ton of resources in developing talent. You know, we talk about, and you've worked in corporate, it's top talent, it's high potential. But when you have companies that are 200,000 plus employees, there's only a certain amount of budget to go around. But then how are we developing the men and not the women? And they come from a different place, right? 
you know, we didn't have 50% of the workforce being women 10, 20 years ago. Now we have that. We can't allow them to leave. We've got to retain them and we've got to invest in them and giving them opportunities earlier like I had to run a PL, to make mistakes, that it's okay and that there's someone there supporting you to help you come back from that and take risks on you because you as an individual, particularly as women, you're taking a risk too, staying in some of these industries saying, I'm really going to put myself on a limb to make a career out of this, even though the odds are against me. So as you got more senior, mm-hmm. it became a lonelier place. And Much you lonelier. you had this brainchild idea yeah. to start a women's forum. That's correct. So tell us about that. So both at J.P. Morgan and then when I got to HSBC, it was really clear You know, we had so much resources around and again, volunteer and passion driven around the women's networks. And a lot of those were more junior, mid-level, and they were great. And I was leading a lot of those. But women often forget, no matter what they do, as the more and more senior, you're mentoring so many and developing so many, you forget about yourself. So Mm -hmm. how could we do that amongst each other and have real hard and honest conversations about the things that we were dealing with, whether that was compensation bad managers, whatever that would be, family, um, maternity leave, whatever that is. And so created that. And then that also became at both organizations, a place to start talking about sharing talent. Um, Before someone walks out the door, are there ways where we can actually talk to each other and say, you know what, this person is about to leave and go to X competitor? Why not give her a shot in something else completely different as long as she's got someone developing her? Those were a little bit more formal in that we had groups of women that were doing that. And then I started to create those sort of informally in some of my professional networks, which led me to when I started Luminary to create that here. You can say whatever you want in these whisper networks without fear of backlash or repercussions, but you also have to be able to be ready for feedback and not get the answers that you're looking for or the pats on the back or the rah-rah, this is hard advice. This is not easy stuff. So, I mean, you bring up the term whisper network, which is something we've spoken a lot about. What kinds of stuff were you sharing in these conversations? Was it about compensation? Was it about work culture? Like, what was everything? Everything uh, that you can think of. Obviously, compensation and negotiation, particularly as women get more senior, right? Are we being paid less or or more or equal to our peers? Are we getting passed over for roles? I had a situation where I was a co-head at one point, and when they gave me the big role where I was now made the sole leader, my co-head was a man, and he got in his new role a big press release and all of this stuff. And it was very frustrating. And I was told, well, you don't need all the press because you're very vocal and everyone knows you. Well, that's bullshit. Just because that's me and I'm not that wallflower I deserve equal sort of representation at the firm, too. So they announced a co-head and didn't list the other co-head? No. So we were co-heads. And then they basically came to me and said, Kate, you're now the head, which was great. It's like, now I'm the sole head. And that's a big job. And then he got a new role and he got a big announcement and I got nothing. Wow. You know, and that's an example. And it's happened to a lot of people, maybe not in that exact context, 
but things like maternity coverage, or I've just come back from maternity leave, not me, but in these networks, I no longer have direct reports, or I'm not getting the deals, or my boss is giving me the side eye if I leave early, you know, flexible work. Um, some of the women that aren't supporting women, right? There is a lot of conversation around that mean girl and mm-hmm. how do we help each other? We're all talking about it, but are we all living it? And then to personal relationships, how are you managing that? How are you handling being a working mom? Um, but I, again, calm is a big one. I think elevating your profile. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about building our brands now, but mm-hmm. Profile is a key word, I think, especially in big companies. Do you have exposure? Do you have visibility? How do you get that? And so we sort of made these informal packs to make sure we were doing that for each other when other people were not in the room, even if you weren't in that line of business or that function, but really supporting that. So you have this amazing job. You're the head. Yeah. And then you decide you want to leave and you want to start... Luminary. Well, I actually didn't know I was going to start Luminary. I wanted to do something thanks to a, a wonderful conversation with one of my mentors who had been at J.B. Morgan for, I think, almost three decades, if not more. And he sort of said to me, what do you want to do to have the biggest impact in your life? Of course, still make money, because if you decide to leave banking, you're giving up a lot of, you know, again, financial freedom and stability, but what do you want to do? And ultimately, I thought I would go work for one of my clients because I had lots of clients around the world. I had lived around the world. And once I started talking to my clients, the challenges that I was facing as a woman and the women in the organizations that I worked for and all over was in every industry. Mm -hmm. So would I be just trading one thing for the other in another big company? And I always thought I was just the kind of woman that would work for a big company. Right. I never thought about launching my own thing. And about a month and a half into that, I wrote a business plan that I didn't even realize was going to become a business plan. And within a week, I decided that I was going to do Luminary. And nine months later, we opened our doors. I mean, you make it sound so easy, but I know it's not easy. So you're actually famous a little bit for your business plan. I know Business Insider just did a piece <laughs> yeah, on yeah. the fact that you did this business plan. What are the steps that you took to write the business plan? And did you have like a germ of the idea that you were going to start a women's sort of space? Or like when you sat down pen to paper, like, I mean, that's daunting. First of all, I'm picturing like a blank sheet of paper. Like, what did you write on there? So one thing, and again, this comes from years of my corporate background, and that gave me a huge leg up, right, in, in creating and writing a business plan. It was what gap am I trying to solve for, right? The biggest gap that I saw, and it had really, in the beginning, had nothing to do with entrepreneurs or creative or freelancers. It was professional women that are in the middle that are raising their hands for bigger opportunities and they're not getting them, partly because they're given an excuse. Oh, you're just not ready. Mm. You don't have X. You don't have Y. Okay, then get them ready. Right. Then give them those tools, right? Mm -hmm. Or take a risk. So that was the problem that I was trying to solve for. And once I started doing research on all of these various industries, which led me to looking at there's thousands of women's organizations, which are all incredible. Elevate Network is a great example but all of them don't have physical spaces. And there were great examples out there that were more of the co-working and shared workspace, like the wing and others, but that's not what I was trying to create. And I think 
there's a huge opportunity for all of these spaces because there are so many women to help. And I remember very distinctly my boyfriend just saying, you're talking at the speed of light, write everything down. And knew from my creating, again, strategy and business plans that, you know, the steps around what is the problem you're trying to solve? What's your business opportunity? What's the market analysis? You know, literally seven steps and then the P&L. And that's what led me to, again, in a week sort of saying, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to self-fund it. That's amazing. And the self-funding part is just so, I mean, you should just be so proud. That's unbelievable. You have said in previous interviews that your life motto is walk it off. (laughs) Yes, that is actually 100% my life motto. What does walking it off mean? So when I was little, my dad and I, again, multiple occasions, but again, and I have two wonderful brothers, both very successful, one on each side. So I lived in a neighborhood where we had a cul-de-sac. It was majority boys, right? So that's who I played with. And I remember coming in one day crying because I got pushed down in stickball or something. (laughs) And my dad said something to the effect of, you know, the minute you let them see you cry, they're going to take advantage of you. And that's it. You're done. So get up, brush yourself off, and walk it off because... Who cares? That's right? definitely the FBI agent talking. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and also, like, you got pain, walk it off. Like, you've made a mistake, walk it off. You didn't get an A-plus on the exam or the test, walk it off. Like, you make mistakes. You learn from them and you move on. And for me, I took it, you know, further than that around when I felt defeated or someone tells me no, I just brush that off and say, well, I'm going to convince you somehow. And that's really, I think, what led me to love sales and be in the banking world. I think also I love a challenge. Clearly. And uh, that motto of walking it off allows me to execute. And so when I think about what I did in my 20 years in banking and now at Luminary, a lot of it is about preparation and then execution. And of course, there are a million mistakes you'll make, but you just have to push them to the side and walk it off. What is the best part of being an entrepreneur now and the worst? I'll start with the best. The best part, I think, for me is calling my own shots, literally. That can also be the worst part, too. Sure. Um, Especially when you're, you're not relying on someone else's financing and it all comes down to you. I see in the little over a year that we've been open, the daily impact that we are making, the company, Luminary, my staff, and the community. You know, we did 200 programs, events, and workshops last year, which blows my mind. More than 70% of those were member-led. So the community is really feeding the ecosystem that we're building. That's the best, right? When I hear a member come up and say, this is the impact that the community's having, or this is the job I got, or this is the business I've had. We had one of our members, we were in the bathroom the other day, you know, you have these sidebar conversations and she said, blah, 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 I'm here five minutes and I get business done. Who needs a golf course, right? So we as women are like, let's go. We've got these tasks. Worst part is the ups and downs, right? You know, being a manager as you accelerate is lonely. I think being an entrepreneur, especially not having a co-founder, is pretty lonely. Just managing the mental health of the ups and downs and being able to walk it off Mm -hmm. when sometimes it just doesn't let me. And how do I kind of get my brain out of that? My mom is an amazing role model, a mentor, therapist, so I often call her. I have a great support network, and I have these whisper networks that I can lean on when I'm having these. And whether they're large or small or three women, 
they really help. I think that's great. I mean, did you ever think about having a co-founder when you were putting your business plan together in a week? I did, actually. Um, I had a, a woman and I that knew each other. She's more in the recruiting space. We had talked about doing the business, and I had come to her after that crazy night where I was writing everything down. And I said, what do you think? And she said, this is a genius idea. She had different skills than I have. And I think I was running way too fast. And I don't think anybody can keep up with me most times. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, you know, I would love to be part of the company at some point, but I need you go at the speed of light. Right. I love that. Yeah. And she's amazing. And then she ended up having another child. And I think um, everything happens for a reason. But also once I wrote that, it was, you know, as my boyfriend says to me, and we were just talking about it. Okay, boss. So just it's okay. Bobby Brown says it all the time. She likes being the boss. I love being the boss too. So yeah. that's okay. You don't have to apologize yeah. for being the boss. No. I love being the boss exactly. also. So we're sitting at Luminary in this very chic little podcast. Or I don't know what this room is, <laughs> conference room. And I've been here a bunch of times now, yeah. and it's always just buzzing with just fabulous people. Tell us a little bit about sort of the energy that's here and the types of programs you have. So everything is built on four pillars, professional and career development, small business entrepreneurial, career changer, pivoter, and personal wellness. And some of those programs can cross all four, and some of them are very, very specialized and targeted. But all of it's about upskilling, right? And all of it is about wherever you are in your journey, in your industry, in your professional life, we want to advance you. And so one of the things that we say is we're building an informal economy for women to support each other. And whether that's buying from each other's businesses, we set that stage when we opened, right? My incredible staff has set that stage. And members, because I think we don't have an application process. What do you mean? So what is it? So women have so many barriers to entry, right? In everything that we do. And so one of the things I said was, I don't want to have someone have to apply to be a part of my community. A community is open. A community is welcoming. A community is bringing people in to help them I succeed. That. So and people just can show up and be like, hi, can hi, I I'd like to join or I'd like to do a day pass. I'd like to experience Luminary for the day or for an event. And all of that programming is not just done by us, as I mentioned, you know, 70 plus percent by members. But then we also have so many partners. We have we partner with Elevate. We partner with The Crew and Tiffany Dufu. We partner with The Second Shift because we're bringing community within community. And collaboration can make it happen, right? This is not just about me. This is not just about Luminary. This is a, how do we actually create real opportunities for women to advance? And that's the heart. My community director calls it COPG. <laughs> which is the way to remember it is our mission and our our values really are be confident, be open, be passionate, be genuine, and be yourself. And so when anyone walks in or out the store, that's what we expect them to be. I love it. You're doing an incredible job. And you've been open for like one minute. Yeah, yeah it's very soon. Yeah. I mean, we're a little over a year and everyone asks me, everyone, when are you open to the next one? When's the next one? And first of all, we self-funding is very different. I don't have to scale because an investor wants me to. I don't have to open up. I will never open up another one in New York. That's a community for a reason. And we're not, you know, we're not trying to compete with the real shared workspaces. We don't do private offices. We're a real community with, with a ton of meeting space so you can get your job and your business done. But 
looking at different cities and where there's a real need for a luminary. But I can take my time. And we just opened the glass ceiling, which is our rooftop, which is fully glass enclosed. So we can use it all year round, but it has a retractable glass roof. So we're literally breaking the glass ceiling here in New York. I love it. What do you think is the biggest myth about starting your own business? I think it's way over sensationalized and sexy and in the press. And I think the media has been irresponsible in doing that because so many founders think, oh, I can just go out and raise money. It's going to be easy and I have a great idea. When you look at the statistics, that's tough, right? Especially for women of color. Especially for women of color. I mean, if you look, I mean, if you look at 97, 98%, depending on the statistic of women-owned businesses will never or don't generate more than a million dollars of revenue in a year on an annual basis. And if you look at women of color, it's even less. And they're 40% of the new businesses being started every day. And that's over 1,800 a day in the US, right? So there's a big discrepancy here. So how do we get banks to loan money like they used to do in the old days when people were starting small business. And that was the heart of every community mm-hmm. and cities versus people just have to go and try to access and give equity away in their companies in order to fund great ideas. I think it's a real challenge. And I think it's, you know, we work with We NYC, which is Women Entrepreneurs. It's a city-funded program. They're actually upstairs today. We're leading a whole day around money and funding and the different tools versus just going out and fundraising. It's a free resource. And that's one, right? That's New York City. We have to be doing this everywhere so that women and minority-owned businesses are actually the heart of the community and the economy. And they're providing jobs and they're bringing value into the neighborhoods where they do business. You know, We've brought over 700 members into Luminary. What does that mean? That doesn't mean business just for me. That means business for the restaurant downstairs, for the dry cleaners, for the nail salons, for the other bars, for whatever it is. That's incredible commerce to bring to a neighborhood. Absolutely. So I guess the question is, like, you worked your butt off to be able to self-fund this ultimately. How does someone who has a great idea, who can't really self-fund, how do they even, well, first of all, even think about taking a chance on themselves, right? You took a chance on yourself, right? And you it's a big chance if you're using someone else's money or you're using your own. Absolutely. You can, you know, pick your poison. But how do you know when your idea is good enough to like really take that gamble on yourself? Well, one, I think it it does come down to believing in yourself and your idea. I think a, a lot of it has to do with passion and perseverance and that we talk a lot about grit and resilience. You know, one of the things that I did was really socialized my idea. and Meaning what? Meaning I talked to people about it, right? Listen, an idea is an idea. I'm not going to trademark an idea. But going and talking to women in my networks Mm -hmm. in other and asking people, can you bring other women and ask them about it? Literally talking to so many women saying, does this resonate with you? Almost like informal focus groups. Mm -hmm. And so once I had that, I knew that there was a need for it. I knew personally that there was a need for it, but did other women and did other companies because we don't just work with individuals, right? I have now close to 30 or more corporate members that need to invest and develop their women. So talking to companies, would they do something like this? Are they looking at innovative ways to provide benefits to their employees? 
and then women, but also men, because we don't exclude men. And it's a big part of when I started this, that we need men at the table. That's how I did it. And then I knew that I had an opportunity to really, not just me, but this to make an impact. And so, okay, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm going to give it my all. And I think entrepreneurs, and again, I'm still so new into this, but you have to give it time. You really do. Everything we read, go back to the press. These, It's like one hit wonders, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, boom, wow, they're a unicorn. And then something happens. And hopefully those unicorns are true unicorns and they're profitable. But that's what we hear. We don't hear until now and recently. We haven't really heard about the 90% of startups that fail the 60 plus percent of investors that never get their money back. Mm -hmm. We've got to start telling those stories too. But I think entrepreneurs really have to have, what's their strategy? Is this a legacy? Are you building a company to have it forever? Are you building it because you want to sell it? And what is that strategy? I teach a course here called Business Plan Bootcamp. And That's uh, amazing. <laughs> one of the stories I told was you can want to sell your company and that's a great plan and that's your strategy. But you can look at people that have had very successful small businesses and live a great life and they don't need the big sale on the front of a magazine or the Wall Street Journal. And I think you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and comfortable with that it's going to be longer than you think. And it really depends on your business. And also, sorry, back to your point, you're absolutely right. I am so privileged to be able to self-fund my business. I saved a lot of bank bonuses over the years and college educations that I didn't have to pay for because I'm unable to have kids. And not everybody can do that. So we need better access for women, for men, for uh, minority-owned businesses to understand what their options are to fund their business so that they can become sustainable and profitable. Women historically struggle with finance, I think, in general. Yeah. What advice can you share about becoming financially independent? Not talking about, like, how do you get rich, but, like, yeah. how are you responsible with money? How do you teach that? So I think I think it goes back to we've got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and start having these conversations, right? I asked the other day in a session that I was either, I can't remember if I was a panelist or, and I said, how many of you, oh, I was speaking at the New York Society of CPAs. Okay? Oh, that's okay. Exciting. Yes. <laughs> and um, amazing women in the audience. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you go to brunch with your girlfriends? Everyone raised their hands. I said, how many of you talk about how bad your boss is or you didn't get the promotion? You know, most people raise their hands. I said, how many of you know how much your best friend makes? Nobody raised their hand because we don't talk about the money we make. We don't talk about compensation and how do we negotiate. And so the minute you're starting to be afraid about that conversation, I think it's really hard to become, you know, that financially independent person. If we can share tips and advice, we all can help each other. Mm -hmm. And so again, back to those whisper networks. Yeah. That's a great example. Like be open about it. Yeah, you might make more than your best friend and your best friend might make more than you. Your husband, you know, whoever it is, you've got to start having that dialogue so that you can become much more confident around your finances, have a plan. I mean, again, I go back to me. I started saving money for college educations for my kids because when I graduated from college, my dad said, you better get a 401k so you can start saving for your retirement and start saving for college for your kids because that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't end up being able to have kids. So all that money that I was saving now is in Luminary. Right. But 
you have to start and you have to start somewhere. So whether you're 25 or you're 65, you have to have a plan for not only retirement, but things that happen in your life that are unplanned. Fertility treatments, adoption, college, whatever, vacation to the Maldives, whatever it is. I think a lot of young, certainly the people who have worked for me in the past, young women have said like, well, I don't make enough to save. Yeah, I hear that all the time. So what do you do in that scenario? Like, I mean, that is a real thing. Yeah. So how does someone sort of get past that? So when I graduated college, I remember my roommate, who's one of my best friends, was making like $25,000 a year. I was making eighteen, And I was so jealous because she could save like $50 a month, right? And I was saving nothing. I mean, it was going to groceries and my rent. But again, my dad said, listen, if you have to pick something to give up, that one drink at the bar that's eight bucks or five bucks, make that sacrifice because you're never going to have savings unless you start somewhere. Um, You get a check for your birthday for $25, whatever it is, put it in a savings account. Kids don't even know the word savings account these days. they don't. And not having a coffee, not going out one night, that all, again, once a month, just saying I'm not going to go out or I'm not going to take that Uber, whatever it is. That can be saved, and you have to start somewhere. No, it's hard, it, but it's you, hard. It's great advice. But even a few dollars, like it all adds up. And then one day you'll look in that bank account and say, "Oh wow, I didn't realize the the check you get from your grandmother, right? Or the Venmo now? I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> I love grandmas who Venmo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mother definitely does not Venmo. No, my my mom. No, 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 no. That's a new thing. But you have to start somewhere. And believe me, I have made a lot of missteps. I'm not a financial advisor, so everyone always thinks because you're in banking, oh, you're you're a wizard. I'm not. I've had great advice. I've had great advisors. And so the earlier the better. I think what's great now is there are so many tools out there and resources to better educate yourself Mm -hmm. and to understand. Women.NYC, who we also partner with at Luminary, is another great resource to learn about that. Mm -hmm. Again, whether you're 25, 35, you're a banker, you're a lawyer, it does not matter. And don't be ashamed. It's okay. And ask for help. Yeah. It's easier said than done sometimes. So I would say you're someone who has very thick skin. Yes. And I think people need to have more thick skin. Yes, I agree. I think certainly in the workplace and definitely in corporations, I think there's a lot of oversensitivity and things getting miscommunicated. How would you advise, like, you know, the people you're mentoring here even, how do you advise them to have like a thicker skin and to sort of be able to handle bigger challenges? You know, again, my motto, right, walk it off. Um, I think inherently people are good. And, you know, a lot of things, particularly because so much is done digitally now, it's lost in translation, Mm -hmm. the tone, people get sensitive about the tone. I mean, people have told me that hundreds of times. About your tone. Yeah, because it's like, why didn't you say hi or good morning? You just asked me the question. We're twins. Yes, I know. And it's like, I don't mean anything by it. It's just I've got stuff to do. And (laughs) and you know that I'm caring about what you did for the weekend. But in that moment, I've got to get stuff done, right? I'm the same. And I don't take offense ever. Because we're busy and the time for having those, I mean, I'll give you a really great example. We have one weekly meeting, one, and every time- The staff. The staff, Uh yep. I was tired of meetings, right? Because I did that for 20 years. And we start every single staff meeting once a week with a personal highlight 
that has happened in the last week and a member highlight, something that they loved about a member. And that gives everybody an opportunity to say, this is why they're happy, whatever. So now we're all as a team understanding, or they may bring up something that's not so great. So it opens up that sort of family conversation Mm -hmm. and dynamic. But, you know, people just have to realize that, again, the world is moving at a fast rate. And when you're also in startup or you're in a very demanding job, which so many of us are, don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. Don't take it personal. And if it is personal, then have that conversation early on to nip it in the bud because then it will fester and fester and then it's just a bad situation. Great advice. What's next for you Besides What's, running this amazing place, I mean, are there going to be other cities maybe? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say maybe. I would say definitely. It's just Great. when and where. And, you know, we are looking at a lot of new programming that we're doing, not just here at Luminary, but with the corporate partners we have. We just signed a partnership with Weight Watchers WW. Amazing! And they're going to be our wellness partner. That's amazing! So we're really excited. And Mindy Grossman, as you know, is just tremendous. So we're very aligned. And and we're looking now at how do we make sure every single thing that we do, program, event that we lead, partner that we have has real impact. And that's changing not just one person in their career, but hundreds and and thousands. So stay tuned. Um, I will. Yeah. Last question. Yes. Kate Luzio. Yes. How do you want to leave your mark? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I think Luminary is just the start. And I think this is something that I'm building to be here for a very long time that will hopefully, when we look in 20 years, we're no longer saying female CEO. Right. We're saying CEO. I love it. I just got chills. Thank you so much. Thank you. This This is great. So great. (laughs) Always great to see you. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at alizalickxo or reach out on Twitter at alizalickt. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.